Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Tuesday, August 9, 2022, and today will be better than yesterday. Producing from his home studio in the foothills of Connecticut is Taylor Schwenk. Sarah Abbott is working from Bristol, and I'm Buster Only, working from Vermont. How are you guys doing? It feels like we haven't done a podcast in about six years. I know it's always that awkward, like, oh, we'll do it on Tuesday, and then I go to put the rundown together, and I'm like, oh, a mountain of things have transpired since we last spoke, especially, Buster, I haven't seen you since uh, last Wednesday. Yeah, that's right. That's part of the reason why it is. What about you, Sarah? It kind of feels like we're overdue here. I know. I don't know why, because I saw you on Friday, Thursday, Friday. I don't know. Friday? Yeah, Friday. Days all lumped together now. But yeah, it feels like it's been forever since it was the three of us. I know. So much has gone on uh, post-trade deadline. uh, I went out to Los Angeles, saw the Padres. The juggernaut that we thought was coming together has not. (laughs) The Yankees went through a five-day stretch in which they couldn't win a game. The Mets beat up on the Braves over the weekend. So much to get to today when we talk with Tim Kirchner. And I got a bone to pick with managers who won't use the intentional walk when I think they should. Yesterday, the Yankees held a team meeting in Seattle Monday afternoon in the midst of that five-game losing streak, and they got off to a great start in the top of the first against the Mariners. The 2-2. Donaldson hits it hard and into left center field, a base hit. Judge headed back towards second. They're going to send him, and he will score. It's a big two-run first-inning single from Josh Donaldson, and the Yankees have an early 2-0 lead. Andrew Benintendi would build on that lead in the top of the fifth. Benintendi drives that to left field indeed. That one's going to one hop off the wall. Torres read it well. He will score easily. Donaldson now will play. It's a two-run double for Andrew Benintendi, his second double of the night. And the Yankee lead is now 6-2. That was Ryan Rucco on the Yes Network. And leave it to Aaron Judge to apply to coup de gras. The 2-2. Judge drills that. Deep center field. Kelnick looking up. It is gone. Number 44 for Aaron Judge. Doing damage in Seattle once again. And the march to history gets a little closer. Yeah, Aaron Judge is now on a pace hit 63 homers this year. So the Yankees end their losing streak. They win 9-4. But not all the news was good. In the first inning, Matt Carpenter fouled the ball off his left foot and suffered a broken bone. He is out indefinitely. Josh Donaldson, the Yankees third baseman, spoke to the reporters. He's, uh, not only has he been great uh, on the field, but he's been great in our clubhouse, great clubhouse presence about him. Uh, You know, we're definitely bummed uh, that that happened. And, you know, it's baseball, but at the end of the day, you know, uh, he was, you know, really locking in as a key figure for our our lineup. And, uh, you know, as the motto is, you know, next man up. But, you know, he will be missed for sure. So the Yankees win, but you know who they didn't gain ground on? Taylor's Orioles, who faced the Blue Jays and jumped out to an early lead. Jays will overshift frequently against right-handed batters. And Santander gets a hold of this one. Deep left center field, and he hit it to the right side of the wall. Quite literally the right side. Another home run for Santander. 
off of a left-handed pitcher. He has found the power stroke from the right-handed box, and he gives the Orioles a 4-1 lead. Mountcastle cracks one, way back into left field, back-to-back -back home runs for the O's. It's finally his day. Ryan's first long ball since July the 3rd, and he busts out against Kikuchi to make it 5-1. to one. And the Orioles would go on to win from, uh, from there 7-4. to four. Uh, the Blue Jays have been playing well of late, but in recent days they had a tough situation with George Springer. They had to place him on the injured list with an inflamed elbow. Let's face it, at this stage in the season, he probably is dealing with something that's, needs gonna, that's going to need to be corrected when the year is over. But for now, they're just going to have to sit him down and hope that he gets better and he becomes serviceable by the end of the season. Hot Ticket is brought to you by Vivid Seats, where you earn rewards with every purchase. Vivid Seats Rewards is your ticket to more tickets. Vivid Seats, life happens live. And it's been happening live in City Field where the Mets are playing great. They got off to a great start again in the bottom of the first. Marte hitting 292, the 1-0. Hit high in the air to left field. That's pretty deep. Fraley going back at the track. There it goes. Home run, Starling Marte. He jumps on a fastball, pumps his fist as he gets to first base. He hit it over the great wall of flushing between the 358 and 370 marks. For Marte, his 12th home run of the year, the Mets are leading by a score of 2 to nothing. That was Howie Rose on WCBS, and Chris Bassett was terrific. Here's the 0-2 pitch. Swung on and missed strike three. Got him with a 95-mile-an-hour fastball. That retires the side. And what a performance by Chris Bassett, who throws 114 pitches in eight innings and holds the Reds to one run. And after the Mets' 5-1 to one win, Bassett talked about pitching deeper into games. You're in a situation where maybe the manager would like to not use the bullpen much. Do you go into, I mean, you were very economic at the beginning of the game. Are you thinking about the length going into it? Yeah, I think everyone's role is basically different um, in the aspect of kind of what they do. And my my job's always that, to eat innings. It's not punch guys out or anything like that. It's just to eat innings. So not a different game plan today, but, yeah, just eat innings. Jason Hayward will not be back with the Chicago Cubs in 2023. That's what uh, head of baseball ops Jed Hoyer told reporters on Monday. Hayward's playing time, of course, has been greatly diminished. Uh, he's 32 years old. His contract has not worked out well for the Cubs, but he will always be remembered for that moment during the 2016 World Series Game 7 when he rallied his uh, teammates into extra innings before they won their first World Series since 1908. Hall of Famer Dennis Eckersley is leaving the Red Sox booth after 2022. I'm going to be asking Tim Kirchin about that and who's on his Mount Rushmore of baseball announcers. And the Padres, it's such a tough weekend in L.A. with Juan Soto in their lineup, faced the Giants last night, and again, they struggled for runs. They were shut out, and here's how the Giants scored. Snell comes home. And a fly ball to center field. Myers going back. He'll square up short of the track. Make the catch. Tagging from third, Longoria. He'll come in to score. Tagging from second. And going to third is J.D. Davis. It's 1-0 Giants. 
Dave Fleming with that call. The only run in San Francisco's 1-0 shutout of San Diego. San Diego reeling in recent days with our lineup. We're going to be talking with Tim about that. Taylor, what else you got? Buster, I was in a house uh, with my wife's family this weekend. They're all Yankees fans. They all universally endorsed the captain, which you can catch the final episode of on Thursday, August 11th, 9 p.m. Eastern on ESPN. You can stream all the episodes on ESPN Plus, of course, about Derek Jeter's life and Hall of Fame career. Uh, lots of interviews, lots of good stuff, but a house full of Yankees fans. They all endorsed it. What could be better than that? Also, ESPN, in partnership with Omaha Productions, presents Soup with Coop. Cooper Manny invites players and coaches from across sports to share stories and laughs while enjoying a bowl of his guest's favorite soup. When the soup is finished, the conversation ends. That's Soup with Coop. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Buster. Just go to Indeed.com slash Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, the clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it. They won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Seam heads rejoice. This is Timmy time. Baseball is the greatest game. With Tim Kirkson. It never disappoints you. On Baseball Tonight. The Hall of Famer, Tim Kirkson. And Tim, I got so much to get to today. We're talking about Aaron Judge. We're talking about Edwin Diaz, maybe being a Cy Young candidate. I want to talk about Pete Rose and Dennis Eckersley. And get your Mount Rushmore for announcers. Uh, but first, how you doing? I'm doing well, Buster. Everything is good. And I've got something that's kind of like it's sticking to my crawl a little bit. Can you, uh, you know, tell me if I'm completely wrong, which I know you're you, very comfortable you, doing. You buster something sticking in your crawl. That, that would be a first. <laughs> so this done on Sunday night baseball. Okay. We, there are a couple situations. We have the Dodgers. We have the Padres. A couple situations in which Freddie Freeman comes to the plate against a right-handed pitcher with first base open. 
And I asked Eduardo Perez the first time that it happened, hey, would you think about walking Freeman here and pitching around him? And he's like, no, absolutely not. Uh, Freeman is retired in that situation. Later in the game, same situation. Right-handed pitcher, Freeman at the plate. They don't intentionally walk him, and he hits a single, and they another run is scored, and the Dodgers pad their lead. Uh, we've seen Aaron Judge, you know, down the stretch here, uh, just doing unbelievable damage, and yet teams keep pitching to him, Tim. And I got to tell you, I don't understand. The last 19 games, he's hit 13 homers, five doubles. He's got 31 hits, 15 walks. He's got a slash line of 431 with a 551 on base percentage, a slugging percentage of 1,056. And they keep pitching to him, Tim. I don't get it. And I asked our friend Hembo this morning to look up uh, the question of, you know, how the intentional walk is being used in baseball today. And clearly, in this era of analytics, front office uh, folks have decided, you know what, it's a bad idea to intentionally walk hitters. The intentional walk rate this year, Tim, is .09, as in one intentional walk every 10 games. As Hembo noted uh, to me this morning, that's the lowest rate since 1930. I'm sorry. I don't get it. I don't know what numbers they're running, but I don't want to pitch to Freddie Freeman in first base open in two outs. I don't want to pitch to Aaron Judge if I don't have to. What's going on? That, that's a good question, Buster. Freddie Freeman's leading the league in hits. He's hitting 320. He can get a hit as well as just about anybody in the game. I wouldn't pitch to him either. And you're right. We don't intentionally walk guys anymore. Remember, Willie McCovey had 45 intentional walks in the 1969 season when he was the MVP. Barry Bonds, of course, had 120 intentional walks in one season. The the leader in walks in the American League that year didn't have as many walks total as Barry Bonds had intentional walks. But one of those years, I'll be wrong, I'll be right, 2017 or 19, the Astros had no intentional walks, their pitchers, the entire season. A.J. Hinch went through an entire year without intentionally walking another batter. And I think a very analytically driven organization like the Astros and a very successful one maybe have set the tone for this but I'm with you Aaron Judge has 10 more homers than anyone else in the major leagues and on this date the last time that happened was 1932 so we're talking about an exceptionally dangerous man why would you pitch to him and yet we do it more and more often I'm not sure where the analytics suggest it's not a good idea to walk somebody intentionally. Sometimes I think it's a great idea. Buster, I 1980, I watched Earl Weaver walk George Brett with runners in first and second and two outs in the ninth inning. First and second, third base was open. He walked George Brett to load the bases. Tim Stoddard walked the next guy in four pitches, and the game was over. But Earl, smarter than everyone, said, I'm not pitching to that guy. And sometimes I'm totally with it. Yeah, and what did George Brett hit that year? He hit 390. He was killing everything, right? Right. Uh, And that's the way it is with Aaron Judge now. And look, Anthony Rizzo has been terrific this year. Um, He's been out in recent days because of a back issue. It's possible he's going to play later today. Anthony Rizzo's been terrific this year, batting behind Judge. In recent days, Matt Carpenter has filled in, and before he got hurt last night, you know, he's been terrific. None of them are doing what Aaron Judge is doing, and especially with two outs 
I'm not pitching the guy. That's what, and look, Bob Melvin, the Padres manager who made that choice to not pitch around Freddie Freeman the other day, he knows, you know, 10 times more baseball than I I've even sniffed. But I'd love to have a conversation with the next time I, I see him because I feel like that that, that decision and, and, you know, the sport-wide decision not to issue intentional walks is based on a, a big, uh, on a larger sample size and the general premise that you don't want to put runners on base because the more likely that uh, you put, when you put runners on base, the more likely it is you're going to give up. But in that situation, like with Freddie Freeman the other day, there are two outs. If you're the Padres at that point, I think they were down 4 nothing. You're just trying to keep the, the Dodgers from scoring again. I'd rather pitch to Will Smith, as good as he is, than Freddie Freeman. Yeah, uh, but on the flip side, Buster, you know, Roger Maris in 61 did not get intentionally walked during a 61 home run season. So he was the MVP in 60. He was the MVP in 61 and got no intentional walks. And granted, that was one of the great offensive teams of all time, and that was Mickey Mantle in the order with him, not to mention surrounded by hitters but the intentional walk has always really interested me and one reason it's way way down i would guess this year is that pitchers aren't batting anywhere anymore so there's no reason to intentionally walk the eighth hitter to get to the pitcher so maybe that's why things are going down even more yeah maybe that's the reason i i you know i i think this weekend well i know this weekend we've got the yankees and the red sox so i'm going to talk to aaron boone and alex core about why that's going away because i got it and I, I did ask uh, Aaron Boone last month about you know, the idea that people are pitching to to judge. And, of course, Booney's not going to throw gasoline on that. He wants to keep that conversation down. And all I'll tell you, Tim, is he gave me a little grin. <laughs> you know, like he knows, like people are pitching to judge and we don't get it. Uh, he is on a pace now. It's 63 home runs this year. And the conversation about whether or not he should be MVP is going to continue to burble as we go down the stretch, as he continues to chase 60 homers. I know how you feel. I think there's a parallel conversation about Edwin Diaz and the Cy Young Award and whether or not he should win because, you know, last year we saw the precedent that with Shohei Otani being such a successful two-way player, voters voted for Otani over Vlad Jr. And in the last 20 years, really since Eric Gagne, Voters, uh, I think, have followed the uh, use of analytics in the sport and believing that volume is so important in determining the Cy Young Award. Zach Greinke had as good a season as we've ever seen from any relief pitcher in 2016. Tim, he didn't come close to winning the Cy Young Award that year. So what do you think about Edwin Diaz for Cy? Do you still think Aaron Judge is the MVP in the American League? Aaron Judge is still the MVP, and I'm going to disagree with you, Buster. Uh, Shohei Otani is not going to catch him this year. Otani's great. He's still remarkable, but he's not going to win. Aaron Judge is going to be the best player on the best team. He's going to have a historic season, and I think he's going to win the MVP, and I think he should win the MVP. As for Edwin Diaz, sorry, this guy has been unbelievable. He's striking out 50% of the guys he faces. He's striking out 18 guys per nine innings. It's absurd. When he comes in, the game is over. That stuff is so ridiculously good right now. And the energy he brings. Buster, have we ever seen a recovery within a couple season span that that guy has made from his first year in New York when he had some troubles? Now he is, he is, he's a god there when he comes into the games. It is so cool. However, 
Sandy Alcantara is still the Cy Young winner in the National League, period. And it's because of the volume that you're talking about. There's no other way around this. If a guy throws 250 innings, which Alcantara might get to, and another guy throws 60 innings, I'm sorry, that's the discussion. But you and I disagree on this. You have Mariano Rivera as the second-best Yankee ever, or third-best Yankee ever, and I love him. He's the greatest closer ever. But you can't place him above a center fielder who plays every day, and I don't think you can take a reliever and put him above a starting pitcher who is having a spectacular season and is going to throw at least 150 to 200 innings more than a reliever. That's the way yeah. I look at it. Yeah, I would have had Britton as the Cy Young Award winner in 2016. He was just ridiculous that year for the Orioles. Uh, Diaz is ridiculous this year. In his last 18 appearances, 63 batters faced, 38 struck at, strikeouts. Let me repeat that. 38 strikeouts among the last 63 batters faced, and in that time he's allowed one walk, and seven hits. Opponents have uh, in that uh, in that stretch of eighteen appearances an OPS of two fifty eight. And you're right about the energy level that he brings when he comes into the game. The fans are totally into the trumpets playing. Uh, you know, I know I covered the Yankees, Mariano Rivera when they were playing uh, Enter Sandman for him. Hell's bells for Trevor Hoffman. I, I think in terms of the pure energy that the music the player bring into the mound in the ninth inning. We haven't seen it before. What do you think? Yeah. And, and he's, you know, he could easily finish second in the Cy Young voting and get a ton of MVP votes. I mean, he could finish, you know, sixth in the MVP voting because of what he means now to the Mets. They feel like that game is over when they bring him in and Buck brought him in in the eighth inning the other day and the game was over. So it's been a spectacular season. I love it when he comes in the game and I'll say, one more time, Buster. How does anyone get a hit off of that stuff? Anybody. It's ridiculous. All right. What do we make of the Padres who won the first game with their revamped lineup with the, uh, with Juan Soto, with Brandon Drury, and they basically haven't been able to win since, and they're not scoring runs. What do we make of it? It's confusing. They lost four straight games by four or more runs, which is pretty hard to do if you think about it. They've been shut out now, back-to-back games for the first time since 2017. I am not going to panic about this if I'm a Padre fan, even though I can tell you there's widespread panic going on already. They're going to get Tatis Jr. back. They're going to have a really good offensive team. They can really pitch, including out of the bullpen, and they're going to make the playoffs. However, the the Braves are better than the Padres are. The Mets are much better than the Padres are right now, and the Dodgers are way better than the Padres are right now. So the moves they made I thought were great and necessary because – The Dodgers are going to be great for years to come. The only way the Padres could compete with them was to do something dramatic. And they did more than one dramatic thing. So don't tell me they made a mistake here. This is baseball. This is not like acquiring Steph Curry and Kevin Durant. They touch the ball on every possession. It takes time for baseball players to get going. I promise you at some point in the next two months, we're going to go, wow, that Padre offense is just as good as we thought it would be. It just hasn't happened yet. That's the beauty of baseball. 
So for the record, Tim declared that they're going to make the playoffs. Uh, I just want to point out, this kind of reminds me of when I declared the National League East race over <laughs> uh, when the Mets had a 10-and-a-half game lead and then the Braves cut it to a half game. Like, you get your ebbs and flows. At the moment, uh, the Padres are sitting six in the National League standings. Uh, they are a, let's see here, what, a game ahead of the Brewers at this point. So they're kind of clinging to it, but you're you're confident that they're going to get in. Yeah, and this is the same guy who has pointed out last year the Padres had the best record in baseball after 50 games and not only didn't make the playoffs, they didn't even finish above 500. i I'm telling you, though, the difference is Juan Soto, Josh Bell, Josh Hader, and maybe more, more than anything, Bob Melvin's in charge of that team. Do you really think that Bob Melvin is going to allow a team with that kind of talent to fold down the stretch like they did last year? I'm not buying it. Sorry. All right. There is one massive wild card, and I think you'll agree with me on this, a major X factor, and that is Fernando Tatis Jr. when he comes back. Uh, through the years, when hitters come back from wrist injuries, it, you don't get consistent results. You just never know until they actually get into games, correct? Correct, and you're right, Buster. And, again, I'm going back on what I said five seconds ago, but if he's <laughs> not if he's not right when he comes back – then everything changes again. I mean, what we're basing all this on is Tatis, Soto, um, Machado, and and Josh Bell hitting one, two, three, four with others, including Jake Cronenworth, following. But if, if Tatis comes back and he can't play shortstop or they have to put him in center field, or most important, he doesn't hit, then the whole equation changes again. And I agree with you. I think the Potters make the playoffs. I think it does take some time. I think Soto will settle in, and they'll start to score runs. That kid is so impressive. Uh, you know, he's 23 years old, and I can call him a kid because I'm a lot older than that, Tim. But just being around him uh, over the weekend before we had Dodgers and Padres and then, and, and, you know, being reminded of his approach at the plate when he played that night and to hear the backstories on sort of, you know, how he's uh, ingratiated himself with the team uh, you know, initially they put him in the two hole, then he moved to the three hole. And then Josh Bell basically talked to him and said, look, uh, you uh, are, you know, the, the, this lineup will be better. You'll get more protection if you hit in the two hole. And so that's where he is. I, I you know, love listening to him on the mic. Uh, tell me about uh, Juan Soto through your eyes as someone who's been around players for a lot of years. Well, again, I live in the D.C. area, so I used to go to the Nationals games all the time, and I was always just amazed at how mature he was at 19 years old playing in the big leagues. Mark Reynolds, one of our favorite people, uh, once looked at me, and this is, you know, four years ago, and he goes, I can't believe the plate discipline this guy has at 19. He goes, I've never for one day had that kind of plate discipline in my life, and I'm 34 years old, he said. This guy's 19 He said, I've never seen a kid who understands and commands the strike zone like he does at this age. And, of course, he's still got it. Buster, he's walked 469 times in his career, and he's 23 years old. The key will be, of course, does he expand that strike zone just a tiny bit once in a while if he needs to drive in a run, knowing there are all sorts of good hitters in this lineup. I think he's going to get more pitches to hit, and I think he's going to be an even better offensive player than he has to this point, and that is really saying something. All right. How about the Orioles? They win the first game of that series against the Toronto Blue Jays. Just keep rolling. They trade Trey Mancini. They trade their closer. They keep on rolling. 
It's an amazing story. I'm going there tonight just to see what the heck is going on here and how they can be doing this. But just just look at the guys who hit homers last night. I mean, they got three guys. They got a bunch of guys with 10 or more homers. They don't have those spectacular offensive players, but they find a way to score runs. Felix Batista closed last night because Jorge Lopez is gone. They're starting pitching. Their, their ERA in the month of, of August, Buster, I know we just started the month, is right around two. This was a team with historically bad pitching last year, and now it's pretty darn good. So the the story is tremendous. Brandon Hyde deserves a lot of credit. He took a lot of losses. His one-loss record looks horrendous, and they're staying with him because when they get good, he deserves to be there. And right now, they're pretty good. Yeah, and I love it for him, the fact that he's there as they turn the corner uh, and they're having success because he earned that. I mean, he absolutely weathered some lean years there. Um, that's a great story, a not great story over the weekend. Pete Rose going back to Philadelphia in his first appearance in the field since the franchise scrapped 2017 plans to honor him because of a woman's allegation. She had a sexual relationship with him when she was a minor. Here's Pete Rose being asked about that. You weren't here, but you were asked before the game about how you thought some of the sexual allegations against you in 2017 might affect the way fans or women view. Uh, you know, I'm going to tell you one more time. I'm here for the Philly fans. I'm here for my teammates. Okay? I'm here for the Philly organization. And who cares what happened 50 years ago? You weren't even born. So you you shouldn't be talking about it because you weren't born. And if you don't know a damn thing about it, don't talk about it. So before that, Tim, Rose was asked by Alex Coffey, terrific writer for the Philadelphia Inquirer, about uh, whether it was appropriate for him to be there, given uh, that uh, you know, the uh, revelation uh, that the woman made about the sexual relationship with him. And his response to her was, it was 55 years ago, babe. And uh, Rose later asked her if he had offended her and offered to sign a thousand baseballs for forgiveness. Tim, I, just absorbing all this and you know, the stuff he said on air, which had to be uh, you know delayed, seven-second seven delay and bleeped out, I got to be honest, I don't know why teams invite him back to ballparks anymore because he always steps in it no matter what, uh, you know, no matter what situation you put him in. Yeah, it's, it's really unfortunate. His timing as a player was impeccable, and his timing since he's retired – could could not be worse. Unfortunately for everyone around him, he says the wrong thing at the wrong time all the time. This is not a one-time thing. And it's it, it really, really hurt that that return to Philadelphia for those other guys because he became the story because he said and did the wrong thing at the wrong time. It's a shame. Yeah, and, and I can tell you this, some of the, the players who were with him with the Reds back in the day, that for years they've chafed at this whole conversation about P. Rose and the Hall of Fame because it comes up every time that they're asked about the Hall of Fame, uh, you know, about Pete. Uh, the conversation is not about the greatness of that team they played on. It's not about individuals on the team other than Pete Rose. And maybe it's time for Pete Rose to just stay away because he creates these situations all the time. And I got to say, I felt bad for Alex Coffey as well, because she's just asked very direct questions of Pete Rose 
and he could have handled them any way he wanted them, but he handled them badly. And then when this was placed on Twitter, he had Twitter followers going after her, Tim. She didn't deserve that. No, she asked the correct question, and the con- and the context of the question was correct, given that there was a delay in Pete Rose returning to Philadelphia because of this issue, and all she did was bring up the issue. So she was very much in the right for asking the question, and she asked it properly, and she should not be slammed for that. No, and the idiots who were slamming her on social media, I mean, they, they're a joke. Uh, the way they responded to her asking that question. All right, I want to ask you about Jason Hayward uh, and his legacy with the Chicago Cubs. We heard from Jed Hoyer yesterday that the Cubs and Hayward have agreed that this will be his last season with the team. He's under contract through 2023, uh, but they've decided to let him go. Uh, He's 32 years old. Jed Hoyer says he wants to give him a chance to land with another team. Uh, So what do you make of all this? Well, I'm not surprised, and I think I think it's the right move because I think Jason Hayward needs to go somewhere else if he's going to resurrect his career. He will be known as one of the best defensive outfielders of his time. He's a great teammate. We all know that. And the famous speech, short as it was, in, during the rain delay in 2016, was important. And he stepped forward and said a few words, and I think it helped the Cubs win the World Series for the first time in over 100 years. But um, he hasn't been the offensive player we thought he would be. Maybe if he goes somewhere else, somebody else can take that swing, which is a complicated swing with a lot of moving parts, and help him fix it. But I'm okay with the Cubs, what they're doing. They are rebuilding that team, and maybe it's time to move on without him, and maybe this will help him by moving him on. So when he was early in his struggles, uh, I think this was still back when he was with the Cardinals, I asked a major league reliever who was often brought in to face Hayward about it, you know, what do you see? And this reliever, Tim, described what was going on with Hayward's swing so simply that it was stunning to me. He talked about how Hayward cocked his wrist, and as the ball is being thrown to the plate, how he would tilt his wrist forward, and then that just di- he just didn't have enough time to recover from that. And he said, you're done. Once you do that going forward, you can't recover uh, in time to be able to relax, uh, react to a good fastball. Um, and then subsequently in watching him, I'm like, Shh. That guy, that guy is right on it. And Jason, you know, adapted his stance. He moved up in the box. He would move back in the box, but he could never overcome that, which is a reminder to me of how difficult it is to hit. Yeah. And, you know, Dick Allen used to do that. Uh, Gary Sheffield used to do that. But those are two of the best hitters and strongest men we've ever seen. I I always looked at quiet hands at the plate, Paul Molitor, Mike Piazza, and the, the quieter, the better with your hands for the most part. And there was just too much going on with Jason Hayward. And you're right. Maybe that tilt, maybe he just wasn't strong enough or good enough to get the, the bat back. I mean, Sheffield did the same thing. He waggled that thing, but he always got the barrel to the ball in, in the hitting position. And there's a big difference there. We got news yesterday that Dennis Eckersley leaving the Nesson booth. He, of course, has been a broadcaster of Red Sox games for almost 20 years. I felt, Tim, when I've listened to Eck, who I love, that what you heard from him was the sincere type of response that you would hear from a lot of players if you put a microphone in the dugout. Because he was always amazed, always wowed 
uh, always invested in what he was seeing on the field. How would you describe him as an announcer? He was a great announcer because you're exactly right, Buster. He talked on the air exactly like he talked to you in person, which I think is always kind of the idea. If you meet somebody and they say, wow, you talk on the air just like you do in person, that's the idea. That's the 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 sincerity and the genuine nature of Dennis Eckersley. And he's the most honest guy in the world. He takes people on. He's not afraid. He's hilarious. I think we're going to miss him terribly in uh, in the broadcast booth. I will miss him being around the ballpark because he's so funny, but he's so honest and he just doesn't care. Meaning this is who I am. I'm going to say what I think. And he's always done it with a good smile on his face. Which takes us to our last uh, item of the day. That would be a bleacher tweet from G Franco 32, who asked in the aftermath of Vince Scully's uh, death, about baseball's Mount Rushmore broadcasters. He writes that we can all agree that Scully and Harry Carey are on the Mount Rushmore. Who else would make it, Tim? Who are the other two in your eyes? Well, Jack Buck's got to be on there. Can't tell you how many times, Buster, in college, I would get in my Datsun B210 and drive to a certain spot on a Saturday night because I could get the Cardinal games on KMOX and I could listen to Jack Buck, but I could only listen to him from a certain parking spot in the long-term parking at the University of Maryland. That's what I used to do to listen to Jack Buck. That voice was unmistakable, and he, of course, has been a part of some of the greatest calls ever. Um, fourth would be, and again, I'm dating myself here because Red Barber probably belongs on this list because he preceded so many great ones, but Ernie Harwell is on the list for me, and I know I'm stealing him from you, Buster, but I would have put him on anyway. Ernie was loved the game as much as anybody and he just had such a gentle nature on the on the air. I hope this story is okay. But when when Tiger Stadium was closing, I went to Ernie and I said, Ernie, what what type of memorabilia are you going to take from all your days at Tiger Stadium? And he said, I'm going to take the urinal from the visiting clubhouse. And I said, what, why would you do, why would you pick that? And he goes, well, it's very personal. And every great player in the history of the American league used it. And he said, I'm going to get it all cleaned up and I'm going to take it home and make it into a planter for my wife. And that's precisely (laughs) what he did. That's Ernie Harwell. And that's one reason I have him in my Mount Rushmore of broadcasters. All right. Uh, among current broadcasters, who do you think has the best chance to crack the, that uh, that top four? Well, John Miller, again, your guy, my guy, John Miller and I covered the Orioles together for several years. And we would go out after games, the writers and John and a few others. And he made us laugh. So many times. First off, that voice is absolutely perfect. He's also hysterically funny. And since Vin Scully's the greatest of all time, I heard I heard John Miller do Vin Scully in Japanese, and it was the single funniest thing I've ever heard, him doing Vin Scully doing a game in Japanese. And he would do that with other broadcasters. John is an all-timer, and he started doing games when he was like 24 years old. You know, he covered Carl Yastrzemski on an everyday basis, and now he's covering Mike Yastrzemski, his grandson, on an everyday basis. John recently told me, I have to be the only guy that's ever covered a grandfather and a grandson on an everyday basis. And I think he might be right. 
I would love to tell you that you're wrong, but I think your top five of the broadcasters are, are dead on. Uh, you know, as time goes on, we'll see if John Miller breaks into those top four. All right, Tim, thanks for doing this. Okay, Buster, see you. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with Code Baseball. That's Code Baseball. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus chews provide one-and-done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NexGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. This is the Numbers Game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, reporter, producer for MLB.com. Sarah, how you doing this week? I'm doing great, Buster. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, so Tim and I just had an organic conversation about Edwin Diaz and the energy level that he brings in with the trumpets that uh, certainly were on display in recent days. And we were trying to come up with a, a, a comp from baseball history like that. Like, I, you know, I covered the Yankees, Mariano Rivera, uh, coming into games uh, to, along with Enter Sandman, uh, Trevor Hoffman, Hell's Bells out in San Diego. We've seen other relievers with other music. I don't think that the same level of energy accompanied any reliever, any pitcher, the way that it does when it comes to Edwin Diaz. You're a baseball historian. Tell me what you think. Those are obviously the comps to mention with Hoffman and Rivera. And they had some of the first really iconic entrance music. But I think the difference is that uh, Timmy Trumpet and uh, Narco Blaster Jack, this whole thing, it's kind of interactive, right? You Mr. and Mrs. Met with their trumpets. You people in the stands kind of imitating like they are playing trumpets. So I think that that fact just kind of changes it. And it's also a little bit different. I mean, Hell's Bells and Ender Salmon are so deep and low in terms of kind of the octave that they're in. And this song manages to kind of toe the line between being upbeat, but also intimidating. So I do just think it's different. And, you know, this one has gotten a chance to go viral on social media the way the others didn't just because of the years in which they began before Twitter or TikTok or any of this was quite the same. 
Yeah, that's a that's a great call. You know, some starting pitchers will go out to the mound uh, to music, but there's not the same impact. It's late in the game. It's fun. There's no doubt about it. It's an absolute blast. I'm sure the next time we have Mets on Sunday Night Baseball, we'll try to build something around that. All right, let's play the numbers game. Number three. Number three is 101. So speaking of Edwin Diaz, he struck out Austin Riley in the ninth inning on Sunday on a pitch that was 101-plus miles an hour. And Jacob deGrom in the first inning got Matt Olson also on a pitch that was 101 point something. I believe it rounded to 102 on the scorebook, so it was 101.5 or above. They became just the fourth duo of pitchers to each get a 101-mile-an-hour strikeout in the same game for the same team in the pitch tracking era. So in May of 2009, Joel Zemaya got 201 mile an hour strikeouts and Justin Verlander got one as well in the same game. Then we had May 2016 in a game for the Yankees. Roldis Chapman got two, Dylan Batances got one. And then in June of last year, Jacob deGrom and Edwin Diaz did this for the Mets. And then again on Sunday, Jacob deGrom and Edwin Diaz. Number two. Number two is 110. So that's how many games the Yankees have played so far this season. Aaron Judge went yard late last night, East Coast time, hitting his 44th of the season. So that is tied for the fourth most home runs in baseball history through a team's first 110 games of the season. 2001, Barry Bonds had 46. Babe Ruth also had 46 back in 1921. McGuire in 98 had 45. Then we have Judge with 44. And McGuire also had 44 in 99. Judge is currently on pace for 65 home runs this season. Number one. Number one is eight. So we saw the Dodgers throughout the weekend really, you know, romp on the Padres show that, hey, you made these trade deadline acquisitions. The Dodgers are still the Dodgers. So they have won eight straight games, all of those by multiple runs. That is tied for the Dodgers' fourth longest such streak of wins all by multiple runs since they joined the National League in 1890. So the only streaks longer for them in 1945, they won 11 straight that way. And in 1947 and 1940, they won nine straight that way. So we'll see if that continues this week. I know Taylor's in a rush, so I got a quick question, quick follow. Juan Soto was on the mic on Sunday. Scale of 1 to 10, how did that sound to you? Oh, my gosh. Is there an 11? Can I do that? That was incredible. I mean, the moment when he was asking the ball not to go out, stay here, stay here, on Cody Bellinger's home run, and then Carl punctuating it perfectly with the, it did not stay here. I mean, that was incredible. And I loved what he said about how much he loves the game of baseball, and that is what's there first and foremost for him before the fame or the money or any of it. So I loved it. We got insight on his friendship with Trey Turner, trying to take away hits from each other. It was incredible. I loved it. Yeah, I loved how he made fun of Trey Turner and knew that he uh, he was going to be upset that he robbed the hit from him. All right, Sarah, thanks for doing this. 
Thanks so much for having me, Buster. Juan Soto was wearing the mic on Sunday Night Baseball. He did a great job with it, addressing a number of different issues in his conversation with Carl Ravitch in the booth. He talked about leaving the Nationals. It was pretty tough. I bought a home with a different plan, but it didn't go in my way. But at the end of the day, it's just a business. We just got to keep going. It was pretty sad at the beginning, but now I'm in a good spot, in a good team, and I'm going to enjoy as much as I can. He talked about what the last week has been like and whether or not he's been affected. Oh, it was pretty crazy. Uh, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of things coming up to me. A lot of mind, mindsets and stuff like that. It's just been wild this week. How, how were you able to compartmentalize it, or were you not? I mean, did it affect you? I mean, no at all. I just, I just tried to keep it simple. I just tried to keep doing my things. I mean... It just a lot of emotional change, but I think I'm going to be fine. Uh, what I'm, I'm at right now, I think it's a really good team, so it's just going to make me happy. I don't think it's going gonna, it's gonna to make me sad or anything like that. He was asked about that massive offer that the Nationals made to him. For me, uh, we, just, we just look at it, and I let my agent do all the stuff and all the numbers. For me, I just... Come out here like I'm doing right now, like where you see me. I'm yep. playing baseball. I'm going to be here just playing as hard as I can, and I let my agent to do all the job. Uh, he explained me all the details. We take the decision, and at the end of the day, we just, we just won the best for me. He was asked about how upset he was that the trade rumors became public. Yeah, I mean, I hear all this stuff. I was... That's why it drives me crazy for the last week because I, 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 was, I was knowing that I'm going. So that, that frustrated me a little bit more. But at the end of the day, they, they did it. And I just, nothing that I can do. Bleacher Tweets. Alrighty, Buster. Bleacher Tweets for a Tuesday. PK Steinberg is up first. He writes in, do evaluators believe that Tatis Jr.'s long recovery from the wrist fracture will have the added benefit of healing up his wonky shoulder? Same thing with Bryce Harper and his elbow. Yeah, I'm buying it with Bryce Harper. I'm not buying it with Fernando Tatis Jr. I'm not going to pretend I'm a doctor, but I've talked to enough people giving, asking the opinion about Tatis Jr.'s shoulder. And basically what they say is, is that it's one of those situations where it's workable until it's not, until he dives and strains it or he takes a weird swing or something. But the fact is, is that um, his, his uh, shoulder's not fixed. And if you're the Padres, you're just crossing your fingers, hope that he can, uh, you know, when he gets back to the lineup, that he's going to be okay. AJ Preller definitely crossing his fingers. Andrew DeSalvotion, DeSalvo, excuse me, at DeSalvotion, wants to know if the Pi- the Padres don't make the playoffs this year. Is AJ Preller, uh, is he going to be back uh, not having Tatis Jr. for the most of the season? Is that going to give him another year? It's not far-fetched that they collapse two years in a row. Yeah, I don't think he's close to being fired at any point. Or I don't think he's on edge. I know the Padres, you know, have been one at trying for the playoffs. They haven't been able to do it. Uh, but he just signed an extension, I believe, last year. So I, I, I you know, Peter DeSidler doesn't strike me as being, you know, the uh, George Steinbrenner type who's just going to fire somebody after a disappointing season. Let's face it, everybody in baseball, you know, thought that uh, the Padres getting Juan Soto was going to be difference making. They made a bunch of deals, and I think everyone was applauding around the industry that they were aggressive in trying to make the playoffs. 
pretty invested in this plan. Uh, would be a little bit dicey to, to get rid of the captain of it. Uh, Mr. Jakey RS writes in, is it safe to say that the Yankees have gone from being a historically great team to being the fourth best team in Major League Baseball this year and the second best team in their own city? He adds, this is one of the most satisfying bleacher tweets he has written to us. No, I don't know. I think they're clearly, <laughs> they weren't as good as what their pace was early, which is why I was trying to like push aside, aside all the comparisons to some of the all-time great teams. Uh, and on the other hand, they're not as bad as what they've been lately. They're better than that. Archie Tatis Jr. at Win for Grin. Win writes in, Dear Baseball Tonight crew, what do you say we skip the Sunday Night Baseball recap? Heck, we don't even need to talk about any of that series. There are a lot more uh, intriguing stories from the weekend. Thanks, a sad Padres fan. Sorry, Archie. Oh, boy. And sorry, that's I had to bring up what happened on Monday, that the sad weekend <laughs> bled over into this week. That's for sure. Ooh, tough break. Taylor Welch, uh, Taylor Gang writes in, did the Phillies prove anything this weekend against Washington or is their best test of being a playoff team going to come against the Mets and Braves the rest of the season? Yeah, I think generally speaking, yeah, because, uh, you know, the Mets and Braves are better than Washington, but the Phillies have been playing well. I think that, what, since June 1st, they're like 20 and 11. Their offense has taken off. They're going to get Bryce Harper back. Um, you know, they, there's no doubt it's been a different team since they changed managers at the time they made that change. And I talked about how I thought it was wrong. You can't blame Joe Girardi for the bad defense, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Bottom line is they played better since Rob Thompson stepped into that job. And the Blue Jays have played better since John Snyder uh, took over as manager. Those wins over the Nats all count the same. Mitchell Black yep. at MC Black 24. Sometimes, Buster, the best deadline moves aren't the players you acquire, but the ones that return. But who could have predicted this resurgence from Paul DeYoung? The St. Louis Cardinals did. You know, they bet on him, <laughs> sent him to the minor leagues, uh, hoped that he would work some stuff out. And, um, you know, people ask me all the time about, you know, who do you root for? What team do you root for? And I always say I root for good stories and good stuff to happen to good people. And to see Paul DeYoung uh, pick himself up the way that he has after that terrible start, and go down to the minor leagues and put the work in, that's pretty impressive. Last one for today, Colin Davis at Official C. Davis 6 writes in Saturday. Games across Major League Baseball drew almost 600,000 fans. The Cardinals set a record attendance at Bush Stadium. Is our game growing or simply returning to pre-pandemic levels? Would love to hear your thoughts. I think it's returning to pre-pandemic levels. It's funny, I was looking at attendance figures the other day, and a lot of teams have seen an increase, of course, because of the fact that a lot of fans weren't going back to the ballpark in 2021. It still feels like that there's room for growth, you know, that you don't really see this concerted effort uh, within the sport to promote Otani, you know, to promote the best young guys as Soto or something like that. Soto was so much fun on Sunday night. Like, he did mm -hmm. such a great job, and it's amazing to me that more people don't know about him and how great he is. Alrighty, that's it for Bleacher Tweets. Hashtag Bleacher Tweets. While you're watching games, we will be back on Wednesday. That's it for today. My thanks to Tim, Sarah, Sarah, and Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something that we need to fight against every single day. Dogs are an important part of our lives. That means protecting them from parasites. Ask your vet about NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, moxidectin, and pyrantal chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus Chews provides one-and-done monthly protection against fleas, ticks, 
heartworm disease, roundworms, and hookworms. Plus, they're delicious and easy to give. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting a preventive. Ask about NextGuard Plus Chews.